0: Hey, it's Karen Hunter from The Karen Hunter Show on SiriusXM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. She is uh, the author of Spare the Kids. You can go to sparethekids.com, award-winning author, of course, journalist, professor at Morgan State. Let me welcome back to the show Dr. Stacey Patton.
1: Thank you so much, Karen. It's always nice to sit with you.
0: Oh, listen, um, you the first time you came on, you triggered the F out of me because, you know, like most people... <laughs> We've all been spanked. Well, most of us. I've been spanked. And I was like, I'm no worse for wear. And it, you know, kept me in line. And uh, I think spare the child is a, is a, you know, spoil the child, spare the rod. I think that's a really good scripture. And a lot of these kids need their asses whooped. And we had it. We had it out, right? Because I had this experience. So therefore, I'm right. You're wrong. And then you came back with the science. And I couldn't dispute it. And you changed my whole entire view because you laid all of the facts out. And when confronted with facts, an agile mind will change because you have to. Can't double down on wrong once the facts are in front of you. So welcome, but also... We're talking about Bill Cosby, and I think we're hardwired to defend the indefensible because it's in us. And it's much like the example we had a pediatrician call up who said that she flips it on men and says that you are at a party, you have on shorts, you drank too much, and then you wake up and your butthole is bleeding. How would you, you know, like we have to sometimes put people in these spaces for them to see themselves. Take us on a journey into the numbers, into what you've discovered with your with your uh, scholarship. This has been an area that you have studied for a better part of 20 plus years. I've known you for a minute. Uh, you've been doing this a while. Talk to us about what you've discovered. Well, much of my
1: work around this issue has been primarily focused on eliminating Uh, corporal punishment, whoopings, beatings, spankings, whatever semantics you want to use to to describe the behavior. Uh, I've been focused on on trying to get African-American communities to abandon the practice because it is so damaging to us. And what's so tragic to me is that so many of us believe that whooping children is a distinctly Black thing, that it is a hallmark of responsible Black parenting in a racist society, that it's somehow going to make us civilized, uh, keep us out of trouble, keep us from being beaten and killed by cops, keep us out of prisons, when really it's, it's counterintuitive. And so I started going into the archives of history, to find out where this parenting practice came from. And what I discovered is that it's not native to our culture, it's not indigenous to us, um, and that it is a byproduct of historical trauma, slavery, Jim Crow terrorism, state sanctioned violence, and so forth. Um, this is a gift, and I say this snarkily, from you know our colonizers who taught us to do this. and. I started looking not just at, you know, the historical origins of this, but delving into the science, the neuroscience of hitting children, like what actually happens in your child's body when you hit them. So people say to me, oh, there's a difference between spanking a child and abusing a child. That's not true. It's a lie. The research is clear that children's developing brains cannot distinguish between sexual abuse Uh, physical abuse that leaves marks and injuries, and a regular spanking that leaves no visible signs of harm. All three are toxic stress events. All three trigger the exact same chemical responses in a child's body, cortisol, oxytocin, other neurochemical responses that can harm a child's developing brain, uh, reduce their IQ, uh, put them at risk for aggressive behavior, depression, drug abuse, um, chronic health issues like obesity, high blood pressure, cancer, you know, early death, all of those sorts of things. So I'm, you know, I, I used, when I was younger and new at this, I was getting into all these ideological debates. People be like, the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. No, it doesn't. That verse isn't even in the Bible. You know, on Twitter, some woman recently said to me, first of all, that I don't have a right to talk about this issue because I don't have children. And then she said, Jesus said, spare the rod spoil the child. I'm like, you do know that verse in Proverbs was actually written by King Solomon way before Jesus was born. So why are you lying on Jesus? And number two, Jesus didn't have children. So there's that. Um, So, you know, we have a lot of myths in our communities about this particular issue. So my work is about using the historical archives, public health data, and science to try to shift our people's thinking so that we can decide whether we want to raise resistance or we want to raise order and be liberatory uh, in our communities through
2: our children. So Dr. Patton, I'm so excited to speak with you because this is something I think a lot about And You talk a lot about trauma bonding and, and I've, I've read about trauma bonding and you know I'm one of those children who was beat with the extension cord, take off your clothes, lay down, get beat with the bell, get beat with the extension cord. Uh, that went on until I was about nine and I stood up to my mother and wouldn't lie down anymore. And so then it was just random punching. Um, but I will definitely say that I'm trauma bonded to her. And I, I would never say that I loved her, but I certainly took quick care of her, supported her, all of that. It's a trauma bond, but it's a bond. And if you are aware of the work of Charlotte Isserby, who was the head of the Department of Education under Ronald Reagan, she talks about the fact that the Department of Education's mission is to create compliant citizens. And sometime during the 60s, part of that mission began came to um, break the parent-child authority bond. So if this is you know complicated, so it's lots of parts of this. We have an educational system, a a governmental system that is actively working to break the parent-child authority bond so that they can get you to be uh, only compliant to your government who can change what right and wrong and good and bad is. That's, That's going on. We see that happening now. I have four children who I did not beat because of what happened to me. One of them believes I did. So I don't know if that's epigenetic but there's no bond for them. They're not even bonded to each other. So I keep wondering, sometimes I think, well, maybe if I beat them, there'd have been something. And and I I truly just think about this. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, what you say about trauma bonding is really an important um, part of this. Um, In any abusive relationship, a parent hitting a child is a form of abuse. And what happens is children are born with an instinct to survive from day one, right? And so um, their brains from age zero to three go through these rapid neurological changes. Neural pathways are forming, learning is happening very, very quickly. And so here's this person that you depend on to eat, to survive, to stay alive, right? And And the research shows us that parents start hitting their children as young as six months old before there's language acquisition, Right. Um, before the there are these parts of the brain that develop, like the prefrontal cortex. Right. For the, that's the home of logic and reasoning, um, emotional regulation, cognition, executive function, problem solving, memory. All of that stuff that doesn't really start to, you know, fire up until later in adolescence. So when you're a little child, a zero to three, five, seven, you're sensory right? So your experiences that you're gathering in your home life, in the world, right, are part of your schema, how you process information. And if you have these people who are supposed to love and protect you and care for you, and they're yelling at you all the time, they're coercing, they're putting hands on you, you're learning how to survive. You're taking that in and you're using these parts of your brain that help you respond to trauma, And that's what gets hardened. Now, what happens is those people are also telling you that they love you, that they're beating you because they wanna protect you. They wanna save you from the white man. They wanna save you from prisons. And so what happens is this child's brain is developing and taking in all this information and repeated experiences and messages, right? Um, What happens is the messages of violence and love fuse together and that part of the brain right? It becomes a biological experience. And so you are socially conditioning your child to experience violence as something that's good, that's normal. And that's why so many people grow up and become these adults who think that hitting a child is okay, to think it's love, think that they deserved it, right? Uh, So many Black people who say, well, I was bad and I'm the man I am or the woman I am today because my my mama whooped me or I'm not in prison because my yeah, but we me. know
2: white people don't whip their children, and their children still grow up violent. Yeah, that's not true. See more myths. I, I'm not more. saying that, but I know plenty of white people that they let their children kick them, spit, mm-hmm. bite, because they, they I know white people they don't ever say no to their children, and their children still grow up violent. So, so the,
1: the more majority of American children across race lines, around seventy percent, uh, are hit. Uh, it it spans across race, ethnicity. And I think black people have a myth that white people don't beat their kids. But if you look back, I'm writing my next book is on the lynching of black children during Jim Crow. And what I found out Mm. is that the story of lynching does not begin in the American South with black people. The story of child lynchings actually begins in Europe. We can go all the way back to antiquity, to the middle ages, all the way up to the 17th, 18th, 19th century in Britain and see white people have never respected children. They brutalized their kids. It took them to the 16th century to even recognize that children were biologically instinct. They needed a whole, uh, that, that, that children were biologically uh, distinct from adults. They needed a whole age of enlightenment to bring them into that realization that children were like, you know, humans. <laughs> and so what I discovered was that they were hanging their own children in Europe before they got here. Right? White people have never respected children. And they still don't respect children because they're children. They respect them distinctly from Black children because they're white. They're the future of whiteness. But they have always subjected white children to private violence and abuse. We just tend to be more public about it, whipping our kids in the grocery store, the parking lot, at church, in school, joking about it on our radio commentary, you know, all that kind of stuff. But white people, they beat their kids. Actually, I just got finished with a congressional um, briefing today on... Uh, for a federal bill by Congressman McEachin um, that will eliminate, finally, corporal punishment in public schools. 51% of the kids who are corporally punished each year are actually white, and their parents support it. So, this meant that they don't do it. They taught us how to do it. They continue, they have a vested interest in using parenting, education, and religion to undergird. This structural violence, so that it gets passed on from generation to generation.
3: D- Dr. Patton, I want to ask you about the, you know, that opening clip where you model a conversation where you speak from a white perspective of saying that we taught you this, and I thought, I thought is notable. I mean, cer- certainly, I have no re- field research in this, but I have never heard a white parent or um, adult say that they were going to whip. I've never heard them say, the, use the word whip, spanking, definitely. But when I was listening to your audio, you, you used whip and beat distinctly. And the connection between what happened in, like in slick, That language was very distinct to me because of slavery and not not just like, obviously there's so much violence in people of whiteness. We saw them bring a noose to the Capitol to hang the whitest white man of whiteness of all capacity (laughs) You get no whiter than Mike Pence. What is whiter than Mike Pence? They brought a noose to hang him. So, be clear that that violence is you know does not discriminate right so I, so i accept that but there's particular like triggering language that we use with children that is just a complete like holdover from slavery mm-hmm. like go get a whip like make us go get the whip from the tree or what the, the switch. switch or whatever mm-hmm. or you the extension cord and like these are such holdovers and again, the language of whipping and beating are, are things that you do to adults and animals, right? So I just, and, and I have another question in, in your research. Were there any distinction around gender um, uh, in terms of, are, do men whip more than women? Because someone, I think, um, Karen, you're talking about the nuns in Catholic school. Like yeah, off they hit beard. everybody. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, well, is there, are there any um, distinctions around, around gender? So, in what terms we do,
1: of- so what we do have are attitudinal surveys that are mm-hmm. taken annually by uh, like Child Trends, which measures people's attitudes about spanking. They use the term spanking um, and the deployment of it as a parenting practice. Um, and we also have child abuse data on perpetrators. Mm-hmm. So, what we do know from this the, from, from this research is that women um, are the bulk of perpetrators of child abuse, and mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. are uh, make up the bulk of perpetrators who kill children. So, a lot of people say that's because wow. they have more proximity with the kids; they're taking care of the kids uh, much more. Um, so, we, we we do know that data. Um, it, and it's not clear on yet in terms of paddling in schools in the 19 states. Um, I, and when I wrote Spare the Kids, I focused on Holmes County, Mississippi. And uh, what I found was that the bulk of the, they call it paddlings, I call it beatings, um, uh, from teachers to students uh, in those schools, which were, major- were all Black, they're segregated. Um, all the teachers are Black, the principals are Black. School board is Black. Local NAACP that turns its head like Brown versus Board of Education wasn't about removing psychological impediments to children's learning. They're Black, right? And the people who are doing the bulk of beating kids are Black female teachers. And so there is a a gender dimension to this. And people will say, oh, it's patriarchy. Patriarchy makes them do this. Um, It's poverty. It's being single mothers that do this. No, we need to start talking about this the same way we talk about domestic violence, that women Mm. beat children, you know, um, you know, for the same sorts of reasons that men beat women for power and control. And a lot of times when people are beating kids, Mm. it's not about teaching anything. It's about them managing their own dysregulation. That's what this is about, but we keep relocating it in these other, you know, explanations while kids continue Mm -hmm. to be, you know, uh, victimized and and killed and in black communities, right. Um, you know, the, an average Mm -hmm. of 365 children in our communities are killed every single year as a result of maltreatment. 40% Mm -hmm. of those are due to the physical abuse. So we, we talk about Oh the kids, you know people say if I don't if I don't beat my son the police will will kill him. And I looked at the data from like 2013 to 2018 there was just above 40 black children who were killed by cops. During that same time period if you look at the annual child maltreatment reports so I think my numbers I don't have the exact numbers in front of me but it was close to 3000 black children killed as a result of maltreatment. Right. And so the, this is the data. This is this is the public health data. We can call it beating spankings. But if you look at child abuse. But, case, you know, I,
3: I think the language does make something about spanking sounds quaint or something like it's beating. It's by, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's something that's why I was, you know, I, you know, as a writer, you hear the words. Right. There's something spanking sounds I don't know. There's something quaint about her. It, it's just not, or that it's not violent. Mm-hmm. When you beat, and and I think beat kind of really like holds it. Um, it it calls it a little bit more what it is. Like when we call people terrorists, call them terrorists. When you call it terrorism, call it terrorism. You know that, that are what we how we frame what's happening.
0: I think isn't is critical. Um, one of the things that changed my mind about this whole spanking thing, which I have been a proponent of my whole entire life was when you made the direct correlation between spanking a child, particularly on the buttocks and how it impacts them sexually for the rest of their lives. Can you Mm. give us that again, please? So when most people
1: um, think about spanking children, uh, there are folks who will actually argue, I've heard Christians argue it, that God made the buttocks specifically, it's a perfect place to spank children. And um and so what happens is people don't think about spanking a child as a whole body experience. If you hit a child on the backside, it affects their brain, it affects their heart, their liver, their pancreas, their reproductive organs, right? There's a thing, so as soon as you hit a child, or well, even before you hit a child, the, the eyes dilate, the pupils dilate, the child can smell of whooping coming because there's sweat, there's you know things that happen in the air, their ears trigger, the heart rate speeds up. Um, the lungs begin to hyperventilate, the stomach starts to twist. You think back to when somebody said you were getting a whooping when you got home, you felt it all over your body. And so what happens is the HPA access system is triggered and it sends these chemicals down to, you know, messages down to the adrenal glands, which sit on the kidneys and then burst of cortisol through the body. That's before you even hit a child. There's all this physiological stuff that happens. So let's say you hit a child and it, and this happens. It continues to amp up no matter where you hit a child. You just pop them on the hand, pluck them on the nose, hit them on the backside, hit with a belt or no belt hand. The whole, this chain reaction happens and it keeps going in the child, even after you finish hitting them. So 15 minutes up to an hour, this child's body is trying to restore itself. So the stuff that's happening under the flesh that you can't see. Now let's talk about hitting a child on the. Backside. So I was in New Orleans um, and doing a community conversation in a church one time. And a Black mom stood up and she says, well, I, I don't see nothing wrong with whooping my son on his butt. So I asked her to come to the front of, you know, the stage. And I had a screen up with an anatomical posterior view of the buttocks. And I said, mama, what's underneath this? And she said, well, it's an ass. And so everybody just started laughing, right? And I said, yes, yes, you're correct. But what's underneath it? She couldn't answer the question. So I turned to the audience I said, can somebody tell me what's underneath this flesh? Nobody can answer. So I said, so y'all think this is just a fatty extension of the body. Yep. So then I changed the picture and I had another anatomical posterior view, but this time with the skin extracted back. And I said, ah, look what we have here a whole network of nerves and blood vessels connected to the spinal cord, to the brain, which controls this. I took them on a whole journey of the buttocks. It's the first time in their lives, they had a journey of the buttocks, right? And so, and there's a particular blood vessel that's connected to the genitals. So when you hit a child, instant blood flow in that area. Some of that blood flow branches off into the genitals. The only other time that the genitals experience that kind of blood flow is during sexual arousal. Right. And so the mom was like, oh, you nasty. I'm not trying to get my child around. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you are, you have no idea, but this is how the body works. And so when you're hitting your child, um, in this area, and a lot of times, and we know parents are not whooping their children in this sort of constrained, you know, um, you know, way where they're putting them over their lap and they're just standing and they're going like this, hitting in that same spot. That's not what's happening. They're holding their kids up by their arms. They're, you know, beating them in this bucking circle like they're animals. And sometimes I can't tell you how many stories I heard from men who I interviewed where their parents their mom, it was mostly the mothers who were doing this, hit them in their genitals. Remember Adrian Peterson lacerated his son's testicles with switches, right? And, and so when a child is bending and trying to get away from this, you're, it's, it's actually exposing their genitals even more, boys or girls, right? To more, you know, um, uh, injury. And the other thing we need to keep in mind is that, and his studies have been done on girls, oxytocin studies, there's a guy named Seth Pollock who did this, where he um, measured, he took saliva and blood samples from girls who had experienced corporal punishment and those who had not. What he found was that the girls who had been hit um, had elevated levels of oxytocin. So why is oxytocin important? It's the love hormone. Right. It gets experienced during breastfeeding, love making, all of that kind of stuff. It's bonding
2: hormone. It's a, a bonding. bonding. It's not love. It's a bonding hormone.
1: So well, it's called the love hormone. If you Google it, you know, it's the love yeah, hormone. Yeah, but they're
2: talking about using it for date rape drugs, too. So I don't want to put it as a love hormone. It's a bonding hormone.
1: Okay. Um, So we can quibble about that. But what what he found the research shows is that these girls had elevated levels of oxytocin in their system. And so they were subjected to stressful events. The girls who had the already higher uh, elevated levels went even higher versus the girls who had this baseline when they're subjected to stress. So why is this important? So uh, a child's body, a girl child's body is like an organism, like a plant, or something else in the environment. When you subject it to stress in the environment, that that stress gets embedded in the organism, underneath the skin. And it sends a message to this girl child's body. Hurry up, procreate, develop, right? Have sex because you might not survive this toxic stress to do it later on. And so you have these parents who are like, my child is fast. I had to whip her because she went on, you know, a TikTok and was twerking. She's talking to men, she's talking to boys, right? So I'll ask these parents, you know, when did she start hitting your child? Oh, around two years old. And I'm like, oh, so you were subjecting her to toxic stress that started to elevate her oxytocin levels, which triggers, helps to trigger and move along precocious puberty. Got it. So there's a relationship between this. And the butt is an erotogenic zone. It's a sexual organ. So when you're hitting your child there, you're sending some very confusing messages about bodily autonomy, about sex. And we know also there have been studies to show the, uh, you know, connection between women who grow up to, you know, engage in painful sexual, um, you know, behaviors. Also spanking your child, beating your child, whooping your child puts them at risk for sexual abuse and puts them at risk for being sexual perpetrators because the message is my body is not my own. I, I interviewed all these Black women from Spare of the Kids. That chapter didn't make it in because I was like 50,000 words too much and my editor was like, you got to cut something. So I interviewed all these Black women who had been hit, whooped, spanked, whatever you want to call it, as, as children. And they were also sexually abused in girlhood. And I would ask these women, why didn't you not disclose to your mother that uncle so-and-so was you know molesting you or whoever was molesting you? And some of them said, well, at least it wasn't a whooping. So I had to decide which kind of bodily violation hurt worse, getting raped or beaten by their mother, or my mom caught me touching myself. And so she responded by whooping me. And so when you have parents who are violating their children's bodies, how do you teach them about consent? I don't have consent to tell you not to, to to hurt my body with this belt or with your hands but then you're gonna tell me, don't let anybody else touch me. Don't let anybody else hurt my body. That's not how children's brains work. They can't, it's it's all confusing. So, and perpetrators, they go after these kinds of girls, right? who have these histories of trauma and bodily violation. So it's all connected. It's at the root of all of this stuff.
2: Agreed. I think that ending corporal punishment is not a sufficient answer. For me, the answer is the emancipation of children, that children should have rights, the same rights that adults have in a, at an earlier time in their life so that children have the right to get access to the legal system if they are being abused, even if that's in the home. And that goes beyond corporal punishment. I'm going to get very personal right here because I feel like we're so in the heady of the facts. So, you know, I remember as a child, for me, beatings, you had to be naked. And my mother used to squeeze my head between her knees. I remember I'd be suffocating in the polyester gown while she was beating my bare bottom. And I had to be under five years old because I remember the house that we were in. And I will say that, you know, I began mencing at nine. Um, I'm a person who ovulates twice a month. Um, And there is a way in which orgasm is connected to violence in my mind. And I never ever thought, I kept wondering why. Yes, I have been sexually abused, but I always wondered why my sexual fantasies always involved some violence. So perhaps this is, you know, part of that connection. I definitely see that connection between, you know, the clitoral complex goes all the way around through the butt. It's not just in that one little organ up there, that whole clitoral complex, moves all up through the woman 's pelvis, so yes you are you know I can speak personally that you are arousing um, all of that stuff even with violence, and I see the effects in my own life
0: thank you for sharing that uh eight six six eight zero one eight two five five Can we take a couple of calls because there's people that have questions um Dr. Patton and Dr. Robin will be here too, so um you know we'll we'll get we'll get all your questions answered. This is going to be a healing session as well as Wednesday on the Karen Island show. Michelle in Atlanta wants to know. Well, how do we discipline our children then, Dr. Patton? Hey, Michelle.
4: Hi, how are you? Good. Yeah, I just wanted to know then what do we do when we're in a situation?
0: So give us an example of a situation, Michelle, where you felt you had to um, spank your child.
4: Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, maybe having to repeatedly give the same... Um, you know, instruction over and over. I'm just going to say, just like cleaning your room, I've asked you over and over and over. The room's still dirty. I've tried to do the consequence. I've given you consequences. That didn't work. I've sat you down. I've talked to you. We've watched YouTube videos on how to keep your room organized. I mean, I have gone all in. All in. And the spanking was always as a last resort. And maybe not having hundred percent support, you know, in the parenting in that particular situation. So now what? I think a lot of people default to the spanking because no one is showing us the alternative.
0: Thank you for that.
4: Dr. Patton.
1: Thank you for sharing that. And I, I totally get your frustration. I'm curious to know how old your child is.
4: Well, I mean, they're teenagers now. I'm referring back to when they were younger. About and what I age?
1: I mean, about what five. age? Around five. Okay. 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 So that's helpful information. So here's the thing a lot of people, and you're so right, no one's um, sharing alternatives, but also teaching parents about child development. So I hear a lot of parents who have kids anywhere from age zero to, you know, uh, Five, six, seven years old say, "I whipped them or spanked them because I keep having to repeat over and over and over and over and over again the same things." And so this lets me know that these parents don't understand brain development. Uh, parents often have unreasonable uh, expectations for what their child can actually do, what their child can actually hear, what their child can actually hold in terms of information in this undeveloped part of their brain. Um, So, for example, recently I was on a a panel and there was hundreds of Black parents on, on this call. And I would hear parents say, my child is one or two, and my child is not listening. And I'm like, they can't listen imagine that their brain is like mush, they can't remember. And then what happens is a lot of times we don't watch our tone with our kids. So a lot of times we tell kids to do things with harsh tones, we're yelling at them, we're looking down at them, we're not coming eye level with the, you know, a respectful tone to children. And so what happens is you're bigger, you're, you you sound different to little ears. Right. And so what happens is as soon as you raise that tone, the child's, you know, uh, neuro processing moves from the top brain to the middle brain where fear lives. Right. And then they're all sensory. So they're not hearing you. They're going into fight or flight mode.
2: Right. Yeah. But most of us as adults are there too. And we don't have any place to learn all this development. I have raised four children. I do not believe in corporal punishment. I will tell you that for my youngest, the last time I took a belt to him, he was nine years old and there was shit covering the walls, literally shit covering the walls for a week of me asking him to clean it up. Now, what was I supposed to do?
1: So let me go back to the the previous question that I was um, addressing here. So a lot of times that, you know, people don't understand what's happening in a child's brain at age zero, one, two, three, whatever. Um, A lot of people will say, my child is not listening. Their listening faculties don't develop until much later in adolescence. The part of their brain for cognition uh, to hold on to information, you know, um, is not developed. So you have to repeat yourself over and over and over again you have to model that behavior until it actually sticks so in this country we need to have some kind of compulsory education that teaches about child development so parents can know where their kids are and meet their kids at that time children can focus on one thing at a time so you give them a whole bunch of things at the same time to try to remember it's overwhelming to them and if that's met with yelling And violence, the whole poo on the wall things, that's some other stuff that I'm not quite sure was going on with your child at this time. Um, You know, why he was smearing excrement on the wall, I'm not sure the full context of that story, Um, but there sounds like there was some sort of deep psychological stuff going on that he was responding to. Maybe he was exploring, depending on how old he was you know kids do explore their own excrement as part of their develop. as nasty as it sounds they do do that play with the contents of their diapers but he sounds like an older kid which tells me that there was maybe some other developmental issues going on so i can't that needs a psychiatrist or and, you know to to deal with that dr right. Patton, i mean i have a question or maybe a
3: comment this is very like emotional mm-hmm. because what I'm hearing and particularly with, you know, as a, you know, not as a parent, just, it may be difficult for parents to give the patience and the understanding and the space that they never had.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, like my
3: daughter looks, I, you know, my daughter, thankfully I had a really great, um, father as a parenting partner, we're unmarried, but we are partners. We're, we were both safe and sane and sober and all those things when she was young. And, you know, we never had to use violence to get a point across or help her learn. But she's, I'm so identified with her. Like when she was little, like that's what really sent me into therapy because I realized what her father was doing to her how he was loving and listening, that didn't happen to me. And I had a, like I brought—I had a breakdown because I never seen what a healthy father looked like mm-hmm. until I saw one be that to my daughter. And I was in a fetal position on the floor and I had to go to therapy because, so what you're, so all these mothers and fathers that are going, so what are we supposed to do when they bug out and smear shit and don't don't clean their room at five? That's worth violence like yes if that was your experience like that's what like the emotion i'm having is for the children inside of all these parents
2: mm-hmm. that yes.
3: never got any understanding or childhood empathy no empathy five five-year-olds aren't supposed to be able to know how to clean shit you know really like why can't they be learn how to like color and figure out like that their brain is we were no one in our gener, in our lineage was ever given that kind of space to just develop. So you're asking us to do something that feels very foreign and feels like, what? Like, how can we have, that sounds like chaos. So
0: mm-hmm. let's do this. To let's just do this. let
3: them be a five-year-old kid. So what can we do? Like, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in
0: reinforcements. Do. Let me, uh, welcome to the show. Ooh, she is a a psychologist. Thank
3: you for this. This is crazy. Yes, this an is... ordained
0: minister. Unpacked. Of course, an author. Um, and I need y'all to to get Stacy Patton's spare the kids as well, Sparethekids.com. Let me let me thank you, and I'm gonna tap in. This is like. Uh, like a a a session where we are gonna tap people in because it's Wellness Wednesday and we gotta have all of the folk connected uh in all of the ways before we we bring Dr. Robin in. I wanna thank you, Stacy Patton, but you have one final thing to say uh before we we let you go because this is uh gonna be I wanna have a continuous conversation with you uh over the over the next year uh because I think we have a lot of work to do.
1: Oh, definitely. I I just I wanna thank you for the conversation. i and you know I remember that first you know, battle we had over this and I appreciate how you've grown on this issue and continue to make space for us to talk about this. Um, you know, Black people need to get to a place where we know that our children will turn out fine and be okay without us putting our hands on them. Uh, part of this is, you know, we've got to decolonize, you know, um, our parenting and purge it from this toxic you know, these toxic ideas and behaviors and practices that we learn from our oppressors. And that's that's my hope. And the work that I do is with love. I love your children. And uh, we have to turn all that rage and anger onto the oppressors and not on our babies.
0: Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on SiriusXM XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.